0: and welcome back to season three of the rooted in podcast this season is all about conveying um, important teaching concepts to you through visual and enjoyable images and
1: metaphors which is going to be particularly difficult in a radio format.
2: <laughs> but
0: we'll make it work.
2: So we're just going to describe Tracy's images to you for most of this season. That's yeah,
3: right. so put on your uh, thinking caps. Yeah. Okay. You're going to have to do a lot of visualizing here. A podcast is worth 3,000 words. <laughs>
2: So, we're going to kick off this season with a three part series that actually will be accompanied by a blog. So, we will have an opportunity to show you Tracy's um,
0: beautiful artwork.
2: Yes, beautiful artwork, her visual concepts. And our series is going to be called How Much Language Arts. I get this question all the time. How much reading? How much writing? How much language arts? And it's going to be broken into three parts, introducing this idea and talking about what language arts looks like when we introduce skills. Part two will be what language arts looks like, how much, when kids are gaining skills and practicing their skills. And part three will be what: how much language arts, when kids are solidifying skills and applying skills.
0: And if you're listening to this, um, each of these podcasts is also accompanied by a blog. So if you're sitting here listening thinking, oh, I wish I could remember some of those things, a lot of it will be written down for you, and you'll get all the visuals with a blog as
3: well. Each of them is also accompanied by a lovely code, which we'll be giving to you at the end of the podcast as a thank you for listening. Um, little discount code to use on our website.
2: Right. So I came up with this idea about... Um, how much language arts when Tracy and I were working on pinwheels and I started to say to her you know I realized that so often in education language arts is broken up into minutes so many minutes of reading so many minutes of writing so many minutes of grammar so many minutes of vocabulary so many minutes of spelling what am I forgetting
0: Phonics, phonics.
2: so many minutes of phonics maybe, which is usually not enough minutes for the new (laughs) learner. And I realized that because we work with struggling learners, talking about how many minutes really varies from student to student. It's the question, how much is too much, how much is enough, is a question that's really difficult for me to answer.
0: Well, and it really varies from student to student, but really also it varies from stage to stage, depending on where you are in the reading and writing learning process as well.
2: On top of it all, it can vary from day to day, and week to week, and month to month. So how can we think about this? What is the image, this concept that we could convey to help all of us think about how much language arts? And we came up with? A pie pie. chart. Yeah. A pie. A pie chart. Because a pie chart conveys proportions, right? Yes. Not exact amounts.
0: Right, which we all prefer when taking a slice of pie anyway. I, right. exactly I want now. just a proportion of this pie, <laughs> half, or something like
2: that. Right, I want a big slice. Right, so right, right. saying a slice. It's proportional, though. <laughs> right, a slice of pie can be one thing for Mora and another for Claire, and another one for Tracy, and a really big one for me, because I love pie. So yeah,
3: We're going to need more than one pie. Yes,
1: yeah. we need to think. one four pie. People,
2: pies. For the four people, two pies. Yes. So um, as we think about pies, I want you to think about, okay, then now I'm picturing this pie and it's broken in six parts, say, Um, phonics, spelling, word study, grammar, reading, writing. That was six parts. Can you believe it? Yes. Okay. And I'm picturing them all being equal, but that doesn't work either. It doesn't work for a lot of reasons, how different kids are, how different each stage in language arts can be.
0: So how we... Different are. <laughs> how different teachers are. How different teachers are. How different your emotional state well, might be from and, day
1: to day. <laughs> and an important concept we'll hit again and, and again, that learning happens in relationship. So you also have how different the relationship, not just the teacher, not just the student, but how the teacher and the student are combining with each other in that particular moment for that particular subject. Right and the
2: student's relationship with the subject also so if this is really difficult for me my tolerance level is going to be less than if it's something that I really adore doing right Um, some struggling learners find reading easier than writing some find writing easier than reading some find
1: um, listening
0: extremely difficult, so Right. find spelling to be easy, but reading is hard.
1: Right. But eating pie is always easy. Right. Yeah.
0: That's so true. <laughs> so while it's you're really what we're saying is if you're right. eating pie while you teach, all your problems will go away. <laughs> That's right.
2: <laughs> Which is why we feed our students pie. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, maybe this will all go down easier if you get yourself a piece of pie while you're listening to <laughs> us. will
0: go down. <laughs> uh, okay.
2: Put <So>, oh. <laughs> them So as we think about this, what I would like to ask you to do is not think in terms of minutes and not think of dividing everything up, first of all, because we realize that a lot of these language arts areas overlap, but also thinking in terms of in any given week, let's say, Not in this hour, not in this day, but in any given week, what might my language arts look like? And that is easier to think about in terms of proportion. Yeah,
3: I just kind of want to reiterate that, though, a little bit, because I can be... That's a big concept. It's a big concept, and it's a different way of thinking, I feel like, than a lot of people are approaching something that we're not talking about a daily or an hourly. We're talking about a weekly perspective. So you're zooming out really, really far from what you might normally be approaching it.
0: And I know a while back, um, Rita did a day-in-the-life homeschool um, kind of look with the Learning Well community on their Instagram page, and she talked about how she used to plan her homeschool by months. She would take months and look at the month and kind of focus on things by month, which allowed you to take this kind of zoomed-out approach and really plan what you were doing Uh, throughout your homeschool, more proportionally rather than kind of driving yourself crazy in the nitty-gritty you know did I get so many minutes of each of these things every day it it
1: allows flexibility when you do that for both the teacher and the student but from the teacher perspective you really have an opportunity to respond to the student or the child in any given day or moment that this is going really well we're just cruising, I'm just going to stay with this particular aspect of language arts today. We're going to milk it for all it's worth and you don't have to get hyper about that because oh dear, I haven't touched on spelling and I haven't had any handwriting practice today. Doesn't matter. It's going great with reading so we're just going to stick with reading and tomorrow we'll deal with something else.
0: And I think it allows you to be a better teacher too if you're a little bit more zoomed out and thinking more proportionally as opposed to trying to kind of quantify everything. Um, you know, because you're not pulling yourself in a thousand directions. I know that even within a a single session with a student when I'm trying, if I try to make a plan that looks like, okay, I'm going to spend 10 minutes on this and then 5 minutes on this and then 12 minutes on this and then, you know, 3 minutes on this, I I will inevitably never make that happen Mm -hmm. because I'll get, you know, I get, um into the depth of whatever the first thing is that right. I started and I realized that there's so much more there that we need to dig into that really trying to splice up my session like that never works and honestly my students would hate me if that's what I tried to do right every session, well and every that time. was
1: what I was gonna say is the added bonus that you get from the flexibility as a teacher is that students end up feeling like they've had a voice in their own learning as well I was really liking this I didn't want to stop and go on to you know i was loving the grammar i didn't want to stop and go on to spelling so you know stick with
0: the grammar yeah or if there was good learning happening from that even if it you know maybe it was a you know some struggle and some you know some engagement and some stickiness it doesn't necessarily have to be because it was incredibly fun but if like you were deep into something and it's like well time's up we gotta move on to spelling you know you've you've zoomed away from something that could have been a really actual learning opportunity that ended up sticking more in their head than if we have these kind of bits and pieces all over the place in my day, when I look back on my day, I really am not sure what I learned because I moved around too much.
2: Right. You never got to the deep never learning the because deep. there was too much switching around. Right. I think the other thing about the month view is it also keeps you from avoiding things that need to happen too. So, say I have a child who only likes reading, only likes listening doesn't like reading himself um, I'm taking this month-long view on this I realized that oh okay how about if you just read a couple sentences right here and then we're just going to go on with this reading that you're really enjoying because this is a day out of 30 days or a day out of what is it seven times four (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> 28.
2: 28 days <laughs> not 30 it's you know it's I'm a day thank you it's a day out of 28 days it helps you say i didn't avoid having him read for 20 out of 28 days today this one day out of 28 days He may not have done a lot of reading. Right. Tomorrow is another day.
0: Right. It gives you perspective. It gives you patience and time, Mm -hmm. right? Because I often feel that the educator feels this, like, pressure Mm -hmm. to get everything in in every lesson, right? And that's not going to happen.
2: I think the other value of this month-long perspective is when you have a project that you um have decided that you're doing so say you know i think i really want to work on this writing project with this student we're reading a book and um we are going to be doing some copy work out of that book and we're going to be um, we're gonna be say um, looking for themes something like that and then in the end we're gonna have this writing project where maybe we do some short narrative writing on or, or uh, uh, free writing on three themes that's my writing project for the month three little themes little bits of writing on three themes that's it for the month so now when I have that month view I can say how do I want to break this up how what what kinds of things will I be doing if we are going to be looking at theme and maybe we need to do some literary element work now I have a sense that over the course of that month I need a proportion out of all these 28 days that's going to be looking at things like literary elements and I have a proportion that's got to have some discussion and I have a proportion that's going to have some read aloud and I have a proportion that's going to have some free writing and then I have a proportion that's going to look at that free writing and do some editing so we can begin to create this paper I'm I'm this working backwards lets you just think in proportions and then think about oh and by the way Monday's out because we always have co-op and Friday's out because Friday's the day where we kind of always take half a day, you only half a, a day, trip
0: or something. Yes, yeah. and,
2: and that just never seems to work so now I'm down to these proportions that I'm going to be fitting nicely over three days except not the week when my mom and dad are visiting. We're only gonna do small amounts and maybe I'll pick the easier things to do that week and then I'm gonna pick some of these harder things to do on the other week. So looking at things when you take this month long view, like I said, it helps you hit everything, it doesn't let you forget things, but it also lets you have grace, not only for, as Tracy said, for when a good day is a good day going down one path we don't want to get off of, but also for just how life can be.
0: Yeah. And the variability of how our students respond each day as well, you know, because I have a lot of parents say, wow, today was a great day, right? Sometimes, especially with the struggling learner, we have a lot of this variability in performance Right, That helps you not get so stressed out every time you have a day where the performance just seems to be lagging. There might be grinding to a slow halt. There might be you know, a little bit of attitude. There might be seeming to have forgotten everything you taught the day before. That variability in performance, when you have this more patient month-long view, it helps, it helps you manage that as an educator better than this, you know, I, I'm kind of freaking out every time. I feel like I lost
3: a day today. So we've been talking in a little bit more of a general perspective about why you would look at something from this proportionate view. Um, So to narrow it back down a little bit then to the kind of early introduction of language arts, so if you had... Yeah, let's talk about our visual. Yeah. I've, pull out, pull out your handy dandy. All visual right, guys, guide. can't you see what we're showing you? <laughs> well, there should be a blog, right? There should be a blog, um, and on that blog, we're talking about the. So this this is the introducing skills pie chart, um, and so this would be divided into these proportions for working with a student who is first learning to read and write. So you might be typically thinking about maybe kindergarten or age five um, or with maybe a struggling Six. learner, maybe they're a little older. I was going to say, sometimes you're
0: you're really introducing skills because reading took a while to really get started. And so they might be older than that with right. a struggling learner. You really want to think about where they are, not what age they are necessarily right. and where they should be, right? It's really about where they are.
2: They could have gaps in they their skills. They could have gaps mm-hmm. and
0: need to spend more time here, even if they're nine or 10.
3: Right. Um, So when introducing skills we're generally looking at two very large portions which is divided between sound practice and letter practice.
2: And I think people find this to be a little frustrating because it feels like you're going back to the basics if you have an older struggling learner and there's a lot of debate out there like is Is phonics really all you need? Is that too much? Phonics doesn't answer all the questions. If you try to talk about spelling in terms of phonics, it doesn't work, which is somewhat true. Um,
1: Or I've done phonics and they get it, but they're not applying it. But
2: they're not applying it. We see that a lot. The kids have had phonics, but they're really not applying it. And so I just want to give you a little bit of a view on this. I had shared this recently. I have been reading uh, Marianne Wolf's book, Proust and the Squid and she was talking about um, different languages in different cultures and she was talking about how even cultures that have very complex languages that kids have to spend years and years and years learning and by the way English the English language is one of those so it takes a long time to become proficient in reading, writing, and spelling in English because we're a complicated language language system. And it's true of Chinese. People have to spend years, they spend like six years learning these 2,000 symbols that are used, over 2,000, Claire, you can correct Mm -hmm. me on this, symbols. And so what they do is they teach kind of this, this microcosm of what Chinese language is, which...
3: It's called pinion. It's
2: called pinion. And that little system helps them learn how the whole system is going to work. So I want you to think about that because that's what we do a lot at this introducing it's,
0: skills level.
3: It's like a like a code, right? Like it's like a key, well, it's, it's like a key to a code. Well, um, and
0: code is a good word to use because a lot of times people get a little confused by the terminology of learning the code or decoding as we call it when we're first teaching kids to read and write and we are essentially teaching them a key teaching them a code just we like call that.
2: we call writing encoding yeah
0: right. encoding right. And right decoding
2: so decoding is reading encoding is writing reading is learning a code you're right and that code is like the entrance it's the welcome into this world of literacy this is generally how it works it connects to our verbal language system it connects to what we know about words even though the way we spell everything may not be the way the same way we say everything but even though phonics and phonological processing the sound processing work that we do has limitations it's this Smaller world that introduces kids to the world of literacy. It's an entry
0: right. to the code.
1: It's an entry to literacy. The gateway
2: code. The gateway code. It's gateway behavior, <laughs> and it's
1: the bridge back to their oral language. Exactly it's how their brains are processing language already.
0: Right, and that's a great point, Tracy, because I feel like a lot of times, sometimes the language system can get kind of separated out from reading and writing, when in reality if we're teaching these little speakers to read and write, hopefully they have some language in our speaking already. Most of them do, right? We want to be using a system they already somewhat have in place. They're obviously still growing in their language skills, but they have a lot in place already that very much connects to our written text form of that language right. and so if we can use something you think of it it's like a gateway skill right mm-hmm. it's like the skill they already have that will help them have a much better sort of sounding board for this new skill Rather than keeping it separate, why would we not want to draw on a strength they already have or a system they well, already and
1: have? And that in place? is the key to deep learning. Right. It, when you're trying to learn something new, you tie it back Bridget. to something you already know.
3: Exactly. Connections. Which is exactly what a metaphor is. <laughs>
1: Waha! That's why metaphors exist. That's why they work
0: and why we're using metaphors to help you, like pie, yeah. to help you understand right. things, right? Everyone here, hopefully, understands connected. pie. Hopefully you've <laughs> had some pie, you've enjoyed
2: some and, pie. And you understand pie. the
1: difference between a big piece of pie and a small piece of pie. And a small piece, piece of, of pie,
2: pie it's, is why we're using that metaphor. <laughs> so, thinking of pie, the very first pie has to have limited ingredients. It's kind of like kids are just learning, we limit the ingredients, but they're key ingredients that are going to continue throughout all of literacy.
3: And part of the reason we limit the ingredients is to ensure success, right? Which has kind of been an underpinning of what we've been talking about. But if you throw too much at once early on, the likelihood of success goes down. Um, So if you're starting with something that is both foundational skills that you need for progress, but also these sort of bigger blocks bigger ideas that they can wrap their heads around right you can actually bite a piece of that pie right ah. so,
0: <laughs> nice so well writing, uh, eating yeah, <laughs> yeah. and
1: to go back to when maura was talking earlier about um, your student might be an older student if you had a student or have a student who struggles and so you've delayed the reading and writing process uh, Not on to, purpose, right? But it has it, that's it just is. It is delayed. Yeah, yes. that's just what's happened. Um, they might very well understand pieces all over the place, but to mix our metaphors, it might be a road full of potholes. So what you're trying to do by going back Crunch. through this, <laughs> yes, Crunch. is to fill in those holes so that it's a holes smooth, right? <laughs> it looks good for company. Right. No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> <I'm> just kidding. <laughs>
0: So to paint you a picture of the introducing skills pie, you have your circle, your pie shape, and there aren't actually going to be that many pieces, because really you're focusing on the kind of mostly two big skill areas that are taking up most of your pie. So you can imagine it kind of being shaped almost like a like a peace sign. And kind you, of a skinny peace sign. Yeah, kind of a, a peace sign. And if you go to the blog, you'll you'll see this lovely chart that Tracy, Tracy created, and it's you know got the beautiful. Um, uh, watercolors and we're trying to make it nice and, and and visually pleasing for you but you'll see that there's one big side sound practice another side letter practice and that's taking up most of your pie and then you practice each of those things sound practice and letter practice in the kind of umbrella skills the the, the code of reading and the code of writing and that's really all the slices you have
2: yes but those reading and writing at this stage is in those slices are bits right Right? so they're skinny slices so you have these big slices of the sound practice and big slices of letter practice and then you have that practiced in these bits because you can't be really writing.
0: practicing much more than bits at this point. If it's if it's introductory, they don't have a lot of code for reading. They don't have a lot of code for writing. In fact, that's what the sound and letter practice is really doing. It's introducing that code, and we're trying to kind of get it consolidated, we say, a lot of the times in the larger skill of reading and writing, but that can't happen very largely because they don't have a lot there, mm-hmm. right? And why
2: is it so important that we're, why are we so focused on this sound letter practice?
3: Well, because practicing those foundational elements really ultimately the goal is that it's building toward automaticity. So you're working toward these foundational pieces becoming as automatic as possible so that you're not spending all of your brain energy on coming up with the sound a letter makes or the the symbol for it, so the actual formation of the letter. Instead, it's smooth, it comes easily, it comes really kind of without thinking about it. It
1: looks instantaneous. Yeah,
3: it looks instantaneous. Um, But you can't get to that point unless you're explicitly and carefully practicing each of those pieces beforehand.
0: Proportionally spending a lot of your time on sound and letter practice at this introductory stage right and not worrying about all of the other pieces of language art quite as much because you want to get this really solid and automatic as much as you can so that they it's taking up less space when mm-hmm. you start folding in these other yep. pieces and, and
1: incidentally we had touched earlier on the fact that sometimes kids have already been exposed to phonics maybe a lot of phonics but it's, it doesn't seem to stick when they go to read or they go to write They're still having a great deal of difficulty. And what they're missing is that automatic connection between the letter and the sound it makes.
0: Yeah, a lot of times there's a lot of like splinter learning that happens where they've kind of picked up pieces of the the letter system, our kind of symbol system. They've picked up pieces of maybe what some of these sounds are. They haven't made really strong connections. They might be using a lot of visual skills, so they're trying to kind of memorize a lot of things. And you have what kind of looks like reading until you get to about third grade, and suddenly they kind of fall apart. And that might be where you really have to kind of go back to this, okay, wait a second, I might need to be spending huge pie portions on this sound to letter again. I might be back to this kind of introductory skill building, code building, um, making connections between these two things really, really solid so that we can now move forward efficiently. Even if it, it seems like some of the things were kind of in place, there were holes all over your pie. So you gotta fill in those big areas. Um, it happened to me when I when I learned piano. I learned piano kind of in these splinter skills right at the beginning. I got about a year into piano, and my teacher moved away, and I had a new teacher who basically said, you've got holes all over your pie. We've got to go back and spend huge amounts of time filling in these big pieces of and, and music. And did you love
1: that idea more? Of music reading and
0: note <laughs> reading. I didn't really know how to read music, but I had yeah. been able to kind of piece together enough that I was seemingly playing and um, no, I wasn't happy. But after about a couple months of doing that, I started to realize, wait a second, there's all this stuff that now I feel so much more solid in, Mm -hmm. and I felt a lot better moving forward because I had filled in those holes where I was really kind of stumbling forward in the dark before, but didn't want to go backwards because it seemed like moving backwards. And I think if you're
2: listening and asking yourself, well, could this be my child? I think the question is, Are you hitting roadblocks? Is, you know, things like there are letter reversals that just are not resolving? you you are hitting a roadblock or their spelling
1: um, is just a mess
2: yeah spelling is a mess that's a roadblock or they may read but they refuse to write that's Mm -hmm. another roadblock they'll only dictate they won't write themselves or when
1: they read out loud they're guessing at a good portion of the words that they come across
2: right a lot of inaccuracies or the rate is very slow I mean there's many things or um, that great listening skills but I just am having trouble with reading or the child has to sound out every single word and then they see the next word one paragraph later and they don't recognize that's the word they had just sound
0: out that's what I was gonna say the variability you just read that but now you can't read it
2: right and so what you're seeing there is that kids have not developed this strong foundation this automaticity and you know just to keep playing on the pie metaphor you know you've got to have that bottom crust you know, or you have stuff spilling out all over creation, and um, and, and we, this is the stage, no matter the age, where we really go in and just work on these foundational skills. Does that mean that this is all spellings going to ever be for this child? No. Does that mean we never would talk about grammar? No. Does that mean somewhere else you might not be doing lots of listening and letting them dictate to you? Absolutely. It, but but for most of your effort that you think about for this student, for language arts, we've got to be working on these skills. And this is the hard thing about kids in the classroom, because the reality is things don't slow down for that student.
0: And there's kind of too many goals and, and benchmarks that have to be hit. That have
2: to be hit, and so all they can do is keep moving these students along even though all this foundational work needs to be done and if you are an educator and that is your situation and you have kids in your classroom like that you really need to get your intervention specialists and your speech language therapists involved because somebody's got to be spending and parents people have got to be spending time working on these skills with Mm -hmm. kids if we skip this whole introductory pie we're in trouble Mm -hmm. yeah and now some of you will say, oh yeah, but my neighbor's kid, they never did anything but read all the time, and he just got it all, and he didn't have to spend any time on this sound-to-symbol connection. Woo-hoo. Yeah. <laughs> lucky for that yeah, one really percentile, lucky. right? Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah. So what we really know from the research is this is a stage that the functional MRIs help show us are really happening in kids' brains. Do they begin? Some kids very quickly will begin to be taking on other kinds of skills. They might move very quickly to the next pie. They're just other, mapping
0: things all over the place right, really fast. Right, right.
2: They have, they have strong underlying language skills that are needed for reading. It's not that they're really pre-programmed for it, but they're, they have a lot of um, natural ability to get there. But most of us spend time learning.
0: The reality is reading is a learned skill, and I know there's a lot of controversy about this sometimes, because you will have those cases that look like I didn't teach my child anything and bam, he could read and it was perfect, right? Those, those kids are still learning They're just learning, they have a lot of natural ability that's enabling them to learn really fast, but they still learn to read, even if it didn't seem like someone needed to teach them. There's always gonna be these kids who seemingly pick up things completely on their own without a lot of explicit instruction. And and
1: incidentally, I'm sorry to interrupt your thought, but if you have a child that you're just introducing reading to and they're moving at that pace, this does not hurt them, it only helps them. Explicit instruction will just go fast. Right, so to still have that pie be limited, to still be focusing that introductory time on sound practice and letter practice is still best practice right. for that child
2: well in two points there people tend to disregard all the phonics work they did for years when these kids one day just magically started yes. doing it they almost act like we were just listening to a speaker who did this i mean there was all this conversation about all these attempts attempts attempts, attempts and different Efforts being made, and then one day the child, Magically. you know, just just started reading. Well, that's disregarding everything that went on before. That's the equivalent of me saying to Tracy, "Well, you're just a really good artist," as though she did no work toward that, right? As right. though she just popped out of the ground as this good artist. <laughs> now, the truth is, she may top. have she may have had um, a real interest in that, and she may have had. Some natural connections to that, which certainly
0: and not a a lot of natural drive,
2: right? She also had parents who actually facilitated that in ways they were artists. An artist, yes. Your mom may have had something to do with. No one in my household was doing that or showing me that. You know, would I be different had I had more experience? And here's another thought: Tracy spent more time drawing in her childhood years than I did. I didn't really like it and didn't do it and that's the reality too of some of these natural readers is they really liked it they spent hours doing it and some of the struggling readers are avoiding it so we do need time in practicing it may be that your child can only tolerate this in 10 minute blocks so make your 10 minute blocks look like the right proportions come back to it later in the day, revisit it again in another subject area, but definitely be thinking proportionally all the time.
3: Yeah, and on that week, from that sort of weekly or monthly perspective, less of a daily perspective.
1: So let's wrap up with a quote. Um, Rita was talking earlier about Dr. Marion Wolf. Uh, and Proust and the Squid. And here's a quote from that book that has a lot to do with what we've been saying. Um, this is a quote before I read it uh, that we put into our new Pinwheels product which Rita also mentioned at the beginning. If you're unfamiliar with that, uh, that's something we've been working on for a while. We hope to have it out sometime this fall, uh, which is a product to introduce or to teach new readers.
0: Yeah, a comprehensive literacy program.
1: Right. Uh, so here's the quote. This is the essence of what is called the Alphabetic Principle, and it depends on your brain's uncanny ability to learn to connect and integrate at rapid-fire speeds what it sees and what it hears to what it knows. So our interpretation of that is that we begin with simple sounds, which is what we hear, matched to letters, which is what we see, and tied to meaning by creating simple words, which is what we already know.
3: Uh, thank you for joining us for episode one of season three. Um, if you listened all the way through, we're very excited to offer a discount code for our website. The code is first F I R S T S L I C E as a, Hey, you've dug into your pie. So grab a first slice. Um, and that's good for 10% off everything on our website, uh, classes and instructional materials. If you want to know more about Rooted in Language, you can visit us on our website, rootedinlanguage.com. You can also check out our YouTube channel, our Facebook page, and join our Facebook community group, The Rooted Community.